Welcome, it's indisputable, I'm your host. Rashad Richie, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, attorney at law, TYT contributor and author. We have with us Adrian Lawrence, should be a great breakdown. Top story of the day, I have a major exclusive update. The Department of Justice is now involved in the case we have been covering since last week as it relates to Mr. Vaughn. Mr. Castillo Vaughn, who is a prisoner in an Alabama state prison. I wanna remind you, get you caught up and give you a background as to what's happening now. Here's some of the background. There's a man in the Alabama state prison who is in this condition. Here it is, look at it, you see that? You see that, right? That's not some prisoner of war. This is a man inside of an Alabama state prison. Here's what he looked like before, okay? I'm gonna give you the background to this insanity. A South Alabama woman is pleading for help after she received photos of her brother showing him in dire medical distress in a state prison. 32 year old, Castelio Bond. Looking well enough and healthy in that picture, which was taken July 24th. He's currently an inmate at Elmore Correctional Facility. He began serving a 20 year sentence in 2019 for multiple convictions for burglary and unlawful breaking and entering a vehicle. He was up for parole in June, but was denied. He will be eligible again for parole consideration June of 2027. Now let's go back to these other pictures. This was on September 2nd. Unable to sit up, obviously malnourished, his eyes almost rolling up into the back of his head. His sister, Cassie, detailed in Facebook, Wednesday the horrific decline of her brother's health after receiving two photos of him this week with the message, get help, get help. This was Vaughn just two days ago. This was September 21st, do you see this? It's hard to look at, I know, promise you it's harder for him to go through it. It's harder for the family to know this is happening. Now I'm highlighting this story because for some reason, this state prison has some kind of control over the local media in Alabama, but they do not control me. On that day on Friday, I said exactly what I would do. I activated a private investigator and a civil rights attorney to go to the state of Alabama. I went to the state of Alabama on Friday night. I called the prison facility and made them aware that one or two things were going to happen on Saturday. Either A, I would be assured that Mr. Vaughn was receiving medical care and his family could speak directly to him. Or B, you will have to call the local sheriff in order to arrest me from the premises of the institution of that particular jail. This is what happened. Cassie, the sister, I was able to make direct contact with her. I put her in contact with the civil rights attorney, Harry Daniels. Harry Daniels was able to talk directly to Mr. Vaughn on that Saturday and coordinated with Benjamin Crump and Lee Merritt. Now, Benjamin Crump, Lee Merritt and Harry Daniels are all representing Mr. Vaughn. In addition to that, the private investigator has uncovered systemic issues that are connected to Alabama state prison system at large also. I received exclusive, 
exclusive information that the Department of Justice has now gotten involved. They visited Mr. Vaughn yesterday in order to make an inquiry as to what happened to him. Yesterday on the show, we had an exclusive interview with Cassie Vaughn, the sister who posted this information. Here's part of what she said. I visited Mr. Vaughn yesterday after I was not entering to the prison. They called me and let me know to come back and visit him. Mr. Vaughn is still in the same condition that he was in in that photo. Mr. Vaughn is using a pamper to use the bathroom. He's depending on the inmates to change his pamper. He hasn't brushed his teeth. They haven't gave him any bath, any bath or anything. His hygiene is horrible. He had filthy clothes on and it's a wound on his stomach that is bleeding pus and blood outside of it. Mr. Vaughn obtained three lawyers, um, Harry Daniels, Lee Merritt, and Benjamin Crump. And that is who will be representing him. Cassie, when you first posted these pictures on social media, you received these pictures with a message that said, get help. Tell us how you were uh, alerted to the condition of uh, your brother. I was alerted by a fellow inmate inside of Elmore Correctional Facility. I want to remind everybody, nobody from the medical staff contacted the family. Nobody from the correction staff contacted the family. None of the uh, faculty, excuse me, none of the administrative workers contacted the family. They were contacted by way of another inmate, an individual temporarily incarcerated with Mr. Vaughn. They had more heart than the people who are paid to care for Mr. Vaughn. What happened to Mr. Vaughn? Mr. Vaughn had an intestinal issue. He was not given the proper medical attention immediately according to the narrative. He was then rushed into surgery. They removed his small intestine. And then according to other inmates was left without proper care. Nobody cleaned his wounds. It led to infection and many things happened after that. And then one of the inmates said, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to violate protocol here. I'm going to risk my own safety inside of this facility, my own freedom because they will put you on lockdown. They will punish you for things like this. They decided to push these photos directly out to the free world in order to get justice for Mr. Vaughn. Last night, I received a call and confirmation this morning that Mr. Vaughn was visited by members of the Department of Justice. They are now involved. All right. Moving in the right direction, however, we still don't have what we want. We want Mr. Bond to be in a free world hospital with the medical care he deserves. Rather than being in another facility, they did transfer him out of Elmore Prison to another facility that Alabama claims is more medically appropriate. We disagree with that assertion. So does the family, so does Mr. Bond. Remember, what did Elmore Prison do? According to the sister, they took her off of the visitation list. They hung up on local media. They would not provide any information to anybody who inquired, not even the mother. Until this weekend, the family was able to see Mr. Vaughn in the horrible condition that he was in.
the fight continues. Adrian Lawrence, as an attorney, obviously you see the malfeasance here. You see the opportunity for lawsuit, but at the core of it is the safety for Mr. Vaughn. Mr. Vaughn is being cared for by other inmates rather than a medical team. What are your thoughts here? I think this is a dereliction of duty when it comes to what those corrections officers are supposed to be doing in terms of caring for these inmates. They have been charged with this, they are paid for this. And it's clear that they're not doing their job and it's to the detriment of the health of Mr. Vaughn. And the thing that really also strikes me is that the Department of Justice sued Alabama's correctional facilities in 2020. That lawsuit is still going and it's set for trial now in November of 2024. So the DOJ has really been in the depths of Alabama's prison and its prison problem, particularly as it concerns constitutional rights and how they are treating inmates. And the fact that they are still willing to engage in this behavior in such a blatant way really tells you that they do not care. And so as I see now what is being done where we have yesterday having the Alabama inmates go on strike for better working conditions, for better conditions overall. It is so incredibly disheartening to know not only is DOJ actively suing the Alabama Department of Corrections and how they do business in terms of how they're treating inmates, but also the inmates are rising up. It tells you there is a problem here. And as much as Alabama's Department of Corrections wants to say that it has no issue whatsoever, it's clearly just the opposite. And it's clear that Mr. Vaughn is a product of having a system that is as broken as Alabama's Department of Corrections. We are going to continue obviously to follow this story as it develops. Stay tuned for more highlights, all right? More updates to come. Okay, we've been here before. A person who's selling products to black people using the N word at their door. Here it is. Hello. Yes, sir. Hey, how you doing? Hey, sorry to bother you. What's I'm up? Fernando. I work at Peak Energy. We're a few doors down. We're in 1845. Okay. So we do solar around here. We're just coming around talking. Uh, sorry, dude. Neighbors. I apologize, man. No, man, that wasn't even. They call that a Freudian slip. Let's put up his picture at full mass here. What's taking place? What just happened? Well, here's what happened. A person who utilizes the N word so much that when he meant to say neighbor, he says the N word instead. He's in the community talking to N words. Oh, I meant neighbors. Now, some people are speculating that what he did was intentional, regardless of an implicit bias or hyper aggression bias. Racism is racism, the impact is virtually the same. This individual engaged in this activity. According to the caption of the original uploader, this incident was described in the caption as a suspected white supremacist employee at Pink Energy in Houston, Texas, uses anti black slur 
when and then tries to pretend it was an accident. If this is somewhat familiar to you, it is because just a few weeks ago, we covered an AT&T contractor who did something similar, but not quite the same. Here it is. I'm with AT&T Fiber. I'm with AT&T Fiber. Okay, thanks for being a Yeah, he said, thanks for being an N-word. He was saying that to a child who was respectful and appropriate, who simply said, my father has to come home to make these decisions. And then that worker decided to walk off singing the N-word as well. I want to highlight a dynamic here. You realize these individuals are trying to obtain sales from black communities, black people in those homes. They are literally going up to a home, knocking on the door, providing a smile in your face. While at the same time thinking you are the N word. Their bias, prejudice and racism being evident in their own vocabulary. But this is not a rare occasion, it's actually quite normative. Individuals who will smile in your face, take your money, respect you not. Okay, so we are exposing these elements, salespeople going around having disdain for the same communities that they are trying to get money from and get paid from. Okay, so black people are good enough to pay you money, but they are not good enough to have your respect. That is the message they are sending. Adrian Lawrence, thoughts here. You know, when I saw that video going across social media yesterday afternoon, it was incredibly disheartening that the gentleman would come to that man's door early in the morning, wake him up and serve him racism for breakfast. Like the thought that he is just dropping the N work, how it was so clearly on the tip of his tongue and he was so comfortable using it. Cause never have I ever had an experience where all of a sudden I'm using the N word as opposed to the word neighbor. I don't even necessarily know how that works. I know they both start with an N. And, and with an R, but still there's a lot in between. And so for that gentleman to have the nerve to come and say that to him and then try to dap him up, apologize. Yeah, right, you should just quit now and fix whatever is in your life that is making racism pop out your mouth with the quickness. Yeah, and some people were pushing back on the male who answered the door as to why he did not do more. Just think about the shock of this happening to you and also, you got a lot of issues. If you're a black male in America, and I know because I am one, there are a lot of issues we deal with. A lot of systemic bias, a lot of direct bias. We deal with these issues every single day. To ask somebody to knock on your door, it's almost like, really? That you knocked on my door to say that? So I understand the lack of response from the person who answered the door. We are waiting to see if the company responds publicly. Since he did represent, he was in fact with a company when knocking on the door. All right, Matt Gates, Matt Gates, the guy who's under investigation for trafficking an underage girl, he says that the first priority for Republicans, if they get the House back, is to actually impeach, which is an indictment, to impeach Joe Biden.
And Roger Stone has admitted, not only did Republicans steal the election from Al Gore, they were going to steal the election by force as it relates to Donald Trump. He said this four months before the actual election. Let me first go to what Matt Gates said, here it is. If we don't engage in impeachment inquiries to get the documents and the testimony and the information we need, then I believe that our voters will feel betrayed and that likely that could be the biggest win the Democrats could hope for in 2024 when it really matters to investigate them and to hold them accountable. And we can do that without the Senate and without the White House. And that's why it should be investigations first, policy, bill making to support the lobbyists and the PACs. As a, as, as a far, far diminished priority. Yep, Matt Gates has said the number one priority for Republicans should be the impeachment of Joe Biden. Now this is going to be interesting, I'm taking you somewhere here. He did not say the number one priority should be fixing the economy or creating better opportunities for healthcare, decreasing the cost of higher education, making sure that individuals have equal pay for equal work, no. That is not the sentiment or the priority of the Republican Party. It is simply to impeach Joe Biden. You may say impeach him for what? Great question. I got that coming in a moment. Representative Matt Gates, Republican out of Florida, told Steve Bannon on his War Room podcast on Monday that if the Republican Party retakes control of the House, impeaching President Joe Biden will be their top priority. Now remember, you have one guy who's under federal investigation. Another guy who is under an indictment. Gates comments actually back up what Representative Nancy Mace, Republican out of South Carolina said, who told Chuck Todd on Meet the Press Sunday that she believed her party would vote to impeach President Biden if they retake the House. Do you expect an impeachment vote against President Biden if Republicans take over the House question? Todd asked Mace, I believe there's a lot of pressure on Republicans to have that vote. Mace replied, notably, neither Gates nor Mace specifically noted on what grounds they or other Republicans believe Biden should be impeached. Isn't that something? Also on CNN, on Don Lemon's show, This was exposed four months, this happened four months before the election. Here's what Roger Stone said. What they're assuming is the election will be normal, the election will not be normal. Oh, These are the California results, sorry, we're not accepting them, we're challenging them in court. If the electors show up at the the electoral college, armed guards will throw them out. I'm the president, you, you're not stealing Florida, you're not stealing Ohio. I'm challenging all of it and the judges we're going to are judges I appointed, you, you're not stealing the election. That's what, that's basically what Bush did to Gore. There's a lot of meat on this bone. Number one, Roger Stone said that they were basically going to steal democracy by force. And they were going to utilize judges to back the play, judges appointed by Donald Trump four months before the election. He said this, now why do we have this clip? CNN obtained and aired. That particular clip from an upcoming documentary called A Storm Foretold by Danish filmmakers who told Roger Stones 
they trailed Roger Stone for about two years up to and after the 2020 presidential election. The clip was provided to Stone's assistant and given to the filmmakers. Don Lemon explained on Monday night. So that's one dynamic. You have clear prerequisite criminal thought, mans rea, forming the criminal idea of stealing an election by force. And then the admission, it's not the first time Republicans have stolen an election. They did the same thing, Bush Gore, isn't that ironic? He literally said Republicans stole the election before, highlighting the fact they were going to do it again. Interesting stuff, what are the priorities for the Republican Party? One, Matt Gates says their priority is not solving problems for everyday Americans. Their priority is to simply impeach Joe Biden, backed up by other Republicans who have failed to lay out a constitutional reason for the indictment. Now, I would like Joe Biden to do much more politically. I think he needs to be much more forceful and aggressive with policy. But the impeachment, which is a de facto indictment, has to be constitutionally constitutionally qualified. They have not provided that qualification. And then Roger Stone comes out, says yes, Elections have been stolen before, we did it with Bush Gore, and we were going to do it again. Will Roger Stone also face the music as it relates to his involvement in attempting to overthrow democracy? All right, Adrian, thoughts on these two characters and their public proclamations? Well, you know, it just seems Really right up their alley. You know, the day after Biden was sworn into office, Marjorie Taylor Greene filed impeachment papers against him. Then she did it again the next year. She's threatening to do it again. It just seems that these individuals who are the most chaotic and problematic members of Congress have nothing to do other than try to find ways to tear down Biden and also to uplift fascism. That definitely seems to be the way that they are proceeding. Even though I'm sure they could not pull two thirds votes that they'd need to in order to effectuate an impeachment in terms of the end result, whether it's removal or what it is, I'm sure they are still going to try and make these efforts because what they're trying to signal to the American people, especially with the midterms coming up, is the thought that we are going to do something, that this government who is ever in positions of leadership is not fit to lead and thus they must be removed and we are going to take actual action, just wait. And so it is incredibly disheartening and it is also pretty pathetic how they continue to waste taxpayer funds running these narratives when they have no grounds, no basis, and no legitimate cause to try to challenge the legitimacy of President Biden or the work that he does. Well said, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Let me remind everyone of my dear friend and sister, Senator Nina Turner, so looking forward to this. Her and I have been talking offline about this a lot. Unbossed with Nina Turner, get ready to tune in daily, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, starting October 17th, set your calendar. YouTube.com forward slash unbossed TYT, make sure you subscribe now. All right, let's get that done. We got a lot of comments, we'll read as many as I can. Cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug, says, every time I see this story, I cry a little. 
Thank you, Doc, for addressing this. His condition is inexcusable. I agree 100%, it is, and we're trying to help as much as we can. Mickey C, the Silverhead Dragon says, one cannot slip with a word that isn't in their vocabulary. Boom, good point. Mo Fury, they have nothing but other people to talk about. They'll probably try to impeach Jimmy Carter for putting those commie solar panels on the White House roof. That is so interesting. We had a conversation about that among friends just a few days ago. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Barbara Joy Brooks. I appreciate you. Uh, Katja the Frank Inferter, thank you so much. Michelle King Hart says, the human being has been, this human being has been tortured. That's right, that is torture. You saw it clearly, right? Okay. Uh, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon says, the inmates are more human than the prison staff. That's right, and they sacrificed. They put their actual freedom on the line. And people say, well, that's ironic, they're already incarcerated. Well, believe me, you can be incarcerated inside of incarceration. It's called going to the hole, solitary confinement. They, they put that at risk in order to make sure people know about this injustice. All right, Coolish, Coolish Regent, I, I think. Says, get it, Doc. You are a hero. Real heroes wear suits and mustaches. That's so beautiful. I'm just a regular guy from Georgia trying to do the right thing. Nothing more, nothing less. And without you, it doesn't work. All right. So I appreciate every single one of you because you all make this platform do what it do. Got something for everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. Karen on Karen criminal activity here. Now there's a lot of narrative coming out of this. Possibly they weren't related. Um, perhaps they already were acquainted with each other. It was really interesting to see it escalate from an argument of one person saying, hey, this is my holiday to another person deciding to engage in physical combat while sitting next to each other on a bus. All right, Adrian, thoughts on this Karenicity you just witnessed? You know, it seems the Karens don't realize that they're a danger to everyone, including people on that bus who may have just wanted a ride, not necessarily to go through their psychological traumatization that they are unleashing on other people. Seeing people strike each other when again, you're just on public transportation, you are just trying to get from point A to point B. You don't know if this can escalate even more. It is very jarring and it's also pretty pathetic. If they could just sit and be quiet, or if you need to get up and change seats and do so, but my God, to put hands on each other and to bark at each other, nobody has time. Yeah, agreed. Let's put up the picture full mass here, all right? I do not have much more information about these particular Karens, but I will make a recommendation. When you Karen in public, somebody may be recording. 
which means you could possibly end up on indisputable. All right, my public service announcement. Very sad story, all right? White woman kills four black women who are all mothers. She only gets four years in prison. You're saying no way in the hell. I'm telling you absolutely, that's exactly what happened. Put up the picture full of mass here. Florida woman, a Florida woman killed four, four black mothers in a DUI crash while only spend four years in prison followed by probation. Her name is Heather Finley, the driver, faced a maximum of 37 years. There are people in Florida who received the maximum of 37 years. She received four years for killing four people. Finley was driving 59 miles per hour in a 35 mile per hour speed zone with a blood alcohol level of 0.08%. The legal limit for when a driver is considered impaired. It is important to note that the test was administered five hours after the accident, which means her blood alcohol content level dropped between the time of the accident and the time she was actually tested. So what we have for the record is likely significantly lower than what was actually present in her system during the accident. There's a circuit court judge named Larry Metz. Larry Metz, the judge, said it was the only way, the only way to guarantee Miss Finley spent time behind bars, despite pleas from the families of the victims to reconsider this ridiculous plea deal. Let's put up the picture of the mothers. They're all dead, every single one of them, dead. The woman who killed them. She gets four years. So let me get the math here. So you mean to tell me, judge and prosecutor who coordinated this plea deal, that each one of these black women were worth their whole lives, were worth one year punishment to the person who killed them. Metz had placed the deal on hold in April to review more evidence saying, in a September 22nd ruling, let's put those women back up. We'll put the women back up. In a 20, uh, September 22nd ruling that if he rejected the deal, the state could drop the case and he did not have the ability to alter the agreement between the prosecutor and defense attorneys. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The judge is literally saying, well, if I rejected the plea deal, the state could have just dropped the charges. The hell you say? We got four black women who are dead, four mothers who are no more because of the criminal action of this particular person. And you're telling me that the only way to guarantee she actually serves some jail time is if you accept this plea deal. Judge, you a damn lie. I tell your mama you're lying. If you forced it to go to trial, there's a conviction here. There's no question about the negligence, no criminal element. Why did you not push for that? Why did you not reject all 
plea deals to force this to trial. Let's put up the women again. I'm gonna give you their names. These women who were killed by Miss Finley are Rosalind Felton, 29 years of age, was in a Chevy Malibu truck with cousins Shaquilla Smith and Cambria Smith, both 26 years of age. And Tiara Chambers, only 25 years of age, when Miss Finley, the killer, smashed into them just after 2 a.m. This happened back in 2018, month of April. The mothers, these mothers represent a total of eight children. Eight children who will no longer have a mother, who will no longer be able to say, Mama, I love you. Or Mama, I can't wait to see you. Or Mama, I miss you. They're gone. Details behind the plea deal are this. Finley's license will be revoked for three years. She is also ordered to pay $200,000 in restitution for the four families impacted. As part of the agreement, prosecutors dropped four of the DUI counts, convicting Finley of four vehicular homicide charges. The family said they also did not have any say in the plea deal at all. Prosecutors noted that there were issues with evidence in the case. In a three page memo, State Attorney Chris Small detailed problems with video and black box data from the vehicles and the defense accident reconstruction report that raises doubts about Finley's impairment. That's what they have said to cover themselves. Finley's defense attorney filed a motion challenging the blood level alcohol test results saying they were based on a lack of scientific reliability. The convicted woman reportedly yelled that B word wrecked my new truck. The defendant, other than being hysterical, showed no indicators of impairment, according to the prosecutor's memo. Isn't that something? You know, let's just go ahead and call it what it is a lack of value allocated to black women. Call it what it is. I guarantee you, if a black woman would have killed four white women, if a black woman would have killed four, White mothers, you would not have seen this outcome. Prosecutor would not have stood for it. The judge would not have stood for it. Now remember, all four families stood against this plea deal. All four families said, don't do this judge. And I believe all four families would have preferred them take this all the way to trial. Seek justice, don't seek the easy out. That's not what you swear to as a prosecutor. You swear to seek justice. This feels like injustice from top to bottom. Adrian, what are your thoughts on this as an attorney at law? 
It's it's very difficult to take the judge's word for it in terms of this thought that if he rejected the plea deal that somehow the charges could be dropped. You know, they had already dropped the DUI counts and so they did have vehicular homicide. You have evidence of someone's death. You also do have some indicia of her testing positive in terms of her blood alcohol level. There would seem to be sufficient evidence to put these two things together. And so for the judge to act like his hands were tied was really pretty um, it was just pathetic. It, it really indicates the lengths that the system is willing to go in order to uh, avoid giving justice for the taking of black lives. And that seems to be completely and totally on display in this case in particular. And just thinking that the children involved from newborn to the age of 12, they are so young, so vulnerable, so innocent. And now their mothers have been taken from them. It, it really does already put them in a position to start their lives so young, knowing that the system is stacked against them. I want to say this um, to the children of these mothers. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. Take this and break the system that did this to you and refuse to give justice to your mother. Use this as motivation to create a better world. It's unfortunate that this happened, it's horrible, it's a disaster. The world is ugly, but you have the opportunity to make it beautiful, all right? All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Always a pleasure being with you. Very thankful for your continued support of this program. All right, let's go to the comments. Got a lot of them, but I'm pressed for time. We'll read as many as I can. All right, uh, the watch list. Make sure you add the watch list to your watch list. The Big Home of J.R. Jackson live weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Watch live daily, subscribe at youtube.com forward slash watch list TYT, beautiful show. Tech stand says, I have no problem with the Karen or Karen violence until the innocent beer got spilled. See, that's why Karen on Karen violence impacts us all, not just Karen's. Make you see the silver dragon says four years for drunk driving, speeding and murdering four human beings. There are young black men who got far more years for smoking a joint. True statement, nothing biased to see here. Yeah. Ricardo Chucky, for this fight I'm rooting for the vape pen. Mary C, the purple dragon queen, thank you so much for being a member for four months. We really appreciate your support, double doser member at that. Love you doc, love this show and love that you effect actual change. Some of the many reasons why I support this show and thank you so much, could not do it without you, all right? It's a team effort all the way through. Big ups to the production staff and all of the support granted by TYT personnel. Twitch, Stars View says, at least she poured the other lady's drink and not her own. <laughs> Interesting, all right. Uh, Mama2210 says, this is very devastating and so disgusting at the same time talking about the four mothers um, who are now dead. 
Okay, this is an update to a story we first brought you. Remember the child who got taken out of a fair, unlawfully by the way, okay? Was told by a deputy sheriff to cross the expressway, cross the street, gets hit. And the family is now suing because none of this should have happened. Well, a jury agrees, 15 million has been awarded to the family because their son died due to the actions of a cop. Let me put up the picture of the young man as he was from a graduation photo. We covered this story recently, a Florida jury has now said a Hillsborough County Sheriff must pay damages to the parents of a teenager killed outside of a state fair. On September 22nd, 10 members of this jury reached a verdict regarding the premature death. That young man, Andrew Joseph III, a 14 year old black child who died on February 7th, 2014. Remember, I explained it took them years to get this to court. Why? Because of qualified immunity. They had to overcome that barrier, it took years to do so. When the child tried to cross the Interstate 4 highway after getting removed from the Florida State Fair, the sheriff's office is now being ordered to pay 15 million because it was their fault it happened. The legal proceedings to bring justice to the family lasted six years and the money will be awarded to the parents. You're looking at them, Andrew Joseph Jr. and Deanna Joseph. Here's background on what happened. The child attended a student day at the fair, a tradition where children can get in for free. Joseph III, the 14 year old child was booted from the fair because deputies said he and a few other teenagers were, and I quote, wilding. Causing a disturbance, knocking over fair patrons and stealing from vendors. Officials grabbed two of his friends before grabbing him. He was caught because he picked up another child's hat after he dropped it while they were running. Once caught, deputies detained and ejected Joseph, an act his parents believe violated his civil rights. Joseph and about 99 teenagers were questioned, photographed, and then driven off from the fair and taken home. The defense said the young man was offered a ride from his football coach, but turned it down. Instead, he opted to cross the highway on his own, hoping to make it over the main gate. He was struck by an SUV before he could make it across the expressway. The plaintiff's team argued authorities should have never placed Joseph in the predicament to decide how to get over. Now remember, in the original reporting, the deputy said clearly to the child, here's what you need to do. The only thing separating you from here to there is this highway, you can cross it. Well, that's what the child did. The child decided to engage in activity based on the word of this particular authority figure and was killed. A jury has said it is the fault of the police as to why this 14 year old died. The parents spoke to the press after the verdict. Joseph Jr. said, and I quote, that child didn't do nothing wrong. $15 million, put some respect on it. His mother said, we are elated at this moment. The family said they feel like this verdict was a day of vindication. Remember, this was years ago, years ago. And we'll donate a portion of the money to the Andrew Joseph Foundation. The Sheriff's Office can appeal the verdict 
Um, we do not have word on if the appeal will happen or not. Um, once again, when I first did this story, so many people pushed back and said, "Oh, well, this this child is 14; it doesn't know how to cross the street." Please understand, there's a cause and effect relationship to why the child is dead. Have a heart, damn it! This child listened to an authority figure, never should have been taken from the fairgrounds. Very questionable as to if the child was even involved in any type of malicious behavior in the first place. But the sheriff's office violated multiple levels of their own protocol. Those systemic failures of enacting policy and protocol led ultimately to the death of this 14 year old child. That is what the jury concluded, that was my opinion from day one. The reason why we have justice now, some semblance of it, it's because a judge decided to set aside this ridiculous notion known as qualified immunity. So what have we learned here? Qualified immunity either stops or significantly slows down actual justice. Once this judge eliminated qualified immunity, justice was able to be obtained by this family. All right, Adrian, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think as you noted, qualified immunity definitely is a barrier to justice for a number of people in our country in part because law enforcement engages in behavior that as far as I'm concerned, it's just not reasonable to begin with. But then when you create this kind of faux court created like form of immunity, then you add another layer to it. And also when you have judges willing to go ahead and give officers the benefit of the doubt. And in this situation, the officer was not deserving of that at all. Again, a young man did exactly what you would expect a teenager to do when you present him with the option of, well, you have to get from point A to point B, you have to cross this. And he did exactly what you would expect the child to do. And so an adult should be held accountable in that situation. It is unfortunate again that it will end up being from the pockets of taxpayers as opposed from law enforcement, which is the root start and the end of the issue as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there you go. Once again, what's happening here? The cops are defunding the cops. The anti-defund the police people, they're not saying anything. It's okay when the cops defund the cops, but when somebody from Black Lives Matter says we need to reprioritize policing budgets, all of a sudden, those on the conservative right, they have a problem with the verbiage. Interesting. You know, this was one of the weirdest things I've seen. Ayanna Presley's GOP challenger got into a fist fight. Here's the first video. Palmer is his name, black Republican. The big fella is actually a boxer, even though he was getting his ass handed to him in that particular fight. It was really interesting. I got more video, here it is. Sean, you good? Sean, are you okay?
Yo, we cops. No, sir. Sean is not okay. All right. Put up the picture. Once again, I do not condone violence. Let me give you the background. The Massachusetts GOP candidate involved in this fight is Donnie Palmer. At least one person was taken to the hospital and is expected to be okay according to the police. Two men who police have identified as Foster Starks of Cambridge and Andwayne Coleman of Ohio were taken into custody for assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. That's according to the Somerville PD. Palmer and his supporters were protesting outside the Somerville Theater where members of the squad, including Palmer's political opponent, Ms. Presley, were holding an event. Palmer said in a statement following the fight, and I quote, violence is, is never the answer. Now, I want you to remember this quote. He says, violence is never the answer, but it seems to be the first resort for radical progressives whenever they seek, seek to silence black Republicans. What? I, okay, okay. I know a number of black Republicans who have not been physically involved in combat. As a matter of fact, you're the only one that I'm aware of where this has happened. Now, sir, you say violence is never the answer. That was your quote, not mine, your quote. You said it on the record. Um, let's go ahead and put up the next picture. He's a boxer. Yeah, the guy who was having a rough time with a man half his size is a professional boxer. According to Ballotpedia, Palmer is a professional heavyweight boxer. And that's one of his belts, obviously made by Fisher Price. And here's one of his campaign posters. He says, knock out the squad. Knock out the squad, send a fighter, Donnie Palmer to Congress. Well, sir, did you not just say, and I quote, uh, that violence is never the answer? Your literal campaign propaganda is a call for violence, is it not? Okay, interesting, fascinating at the same time. Once again, I do not condone violence. All right, Adrian Lawrence, thoughts here. Um, I, it's not that I do not, not condone violence. I just think that sometimes it can be problematic and sometimes it could be necessary. And in this case, this man definitely seemed to think that maybe it wasn't necessary. I'm guessing that's why he was taking those hits. I do know that I've known some fighters in my day. And the general thought is that if, um, you know, given that there is some <laughs> lethal aspects of their body, that they may be more inclined to let the other person um, get a few licks in or hits in because they know how violent they can be. And they also know, you know, they can defend themselves. I really don't know necessarily what the story was with this gentleman, um, but it definitely seems that you know maybe boxing isn't necessarily a strong suit, but also probably politics too. Mm. All right, there you have it. We got more on the other side. Welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Okay, let's go to the comments. I knew these comments were going to be interesting. Texton says, maybe he's just not very a very good boxer and is looking for another gig. Sounds like an accurate statement to me. All right, uh, Henry says, 
Also, again, not a street he had to cross. It was a highway with cars going over 65 miles per hour. How is anyone gonna cross safely? Exactly, that's right. Uh, Mr. Shadow says, laughing my A off, Sean was definitely not okay. I know he wasn't. Political panda, weird and disputable, did not condone violence, but we do find it funny. Shiley Stevens, he be boxing all right at UPS. But a boom, I see what you did there. Uh, Chris Frederick, thank you so much. Remember for two months, indisputable. Says, let's find some solace from the tragedy of the loss of these four mothers and what it may inspire their children to become and do because of this later. You know, I have something I say to my college students a lot. Uh, message, what is your message to the world? M-E-S-S-A-G-E, what is your message? And many times we find our message by finding our mess, what has harmed us, what has hindered us, what has been against us. Finding our mess and putting age on it, M-E-S-S-A-G-E, that becomes your message. All right. Update, Chantel Arnold files a civil rights lawsuit against the cop who did this to her. Here's a video. H. Such a horrible visual, right? Let's put it in the picture, Miss Arnold. We said on day one, lawsuit definitely will be pending. Chantel Arnold is suing the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Deputy, Julio Alvarado, Sheriff Joseph P. Lapinto third and Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office over the September 20th, 2021 altercation that violated her fourth and 14th amendment rights. She is asking for a trial by jury. And that the court declared the deputy not only violated her civil rights, but also award her compensation for her injuries. His violation of her civil rights, emotional distress, emotional injury, fear, pain, and suffering. Continuing injury and permanent injury. Arno is also asking for a written admission of guilt and apology on the sheriff's office's official letterhead for all of her lawyer fees to be met. And lastly, she is asking him to be terminated or prevented from working predominantly black neighborhoods, period. Let's go to the deputy. This is Alvarado, he's the deputy who was suspended without pay for a week. That's it, one week. They admitted he did something wrong, violated protocol. Obviously, in my opinion, he violated the law, but he was suspended for one week for what he did to this woman and then received one year probation, okay? 16 years with that sheriff's office. He was reprimanded not because of the assault of the woman, but because he did not write the report of the incident. If it were not for the videos taken by witnesses, there would have been no proof anything ever happened to Miss Arnold. The complaint also revealed there have been numerous federal complaints filed against the now 17 year law enforcement professional by African Americans and other minorities, long track record of terrorizing people of color. Let's go to the sheriff, buck stops with him. Remember, the sheriff is the one who remained protective of this particular deputy who has been noted for terrorizing communities. And internal affairs report found Alvarado violated written policies 
and procedures for his failure to properly document the incident. Now, why did he not document the incident? Because he would have lied on the incident and that would be another charge. He did not document the incident. Arnold and her legal team believe it goes further, alleging the deputy and the sheriff's office conspired to cover up his excessive force against her. And I agree with them. Here's a recap of what led to this encounter. The complaint states, the incident in question was a direct result of Arnold, who is a small woman of four feet eight and weighing less than 100 pounds, getting jumped by a group of children. Now remember when I first reported on this, I said she was victimized twice. She was already victimized by a group of individuals who jumped on her, physically assaulted her. She was now traumatized, trying to get away. This cop sees her crying and she says, I'm okay, just leave me alone, I'm trying to get home. Instead of handling the situation with the sensitivity required, he decides to get out of his car and physically assault her a second time within minutes of her being harassed the first. While near her family's home, she was jumped by three individuals. The attack lasted several minutes, according to the cell phone footage of the beating. The boys threw Arnold to the ground and assaulted her as a crowd gathered laughing as they watched. At one point, she tried to defend herself with a stick, but to no avail. They continued to beat her, only stopping when Lionel Gray, a 71 year old stepfather chased them away. Someone called 911, they reported the fight, okay? They called 911, reported the fight, Deputy Alvarado responded. That is when he saw this tattered Arnold walking from the incident. She committed no crime, she's a victim of a crime. Despite being the victim, Deputy Alvarado zeroed in on Arnold, Miss Arnold, and demanded that she speak to him. She was traumatized. When she responded that she just wanted to leave the scene of the fight, he then assaulted her, victimizing her a second time within minutes of her being victimized the first. That's what the lawsuit says. That's exactly what, what this cop did, Alvarado did. Arnold's lawyer stated in addition to being her small size, Arnold also only has one eye after losing her left eye in a car accident prior to the assault. Less than 100 pounds, has vision in only one eye. She posed no threat to the cop, obviously, that's clear here, no threat whatsoever. The lawsuit states after brutally beating the woman, Alvarado also failed to render aid to her upon recognizing her injuries. What did he do? He handcuffed her. Now, why is Alvarado still a cop? Why is he still employed? Why has he not been taken to jail without the possibility of a bond? These are questions that must be answered. I agree with the defense here. I agree that there was an actual cover up that included the sheriff. That is why you do not have an official record of the incident. That is why they decided to not to not reveal the name of this cop at first. Remember, when we first reported on this, they refused to reveal the name of the cop. And so what do we do here? We exposed the sheriff. 
A few days later, we finally got the name of the cop. What happened when we got the name of the cop? Exactly what I predicted. The cop would have a long history of violations like this. We can trace his violations back more than 10 years, specifically against black and brown communities. Is that not ironic? This happens with police routinely. Cops are accountable to us, the taxpayers. However, when you have a sheriff like this, who's willing to protect cops who present liability to the department and terrorizes local communities, it is difficult to create transformation without transparency. Adrian, thoughts on this case? You know, this is really, uh, it's a hallmarker of injustice of someone in a position of power looking to abuse their power to victimize someone who is already very limited in their capacity, having limited sight and vision, also having been assaulted to further marginalize and denigrate her. And it's incredibly disgusting. And also for this department to continue to keep this person on the payroll, it really does say what their priorities really are. And so I hope there is full accountability across the board when it comes to to this individual, also this department, and how they are treating the citizens that they are supposed to be serving and protecting. And I want to remind everyone, engage your local community. Start making sure that your local community has an effective citizens review board that can actually provide oversight for police officers in your local city or county. That review board needs to also have the power of subpoena to compel the testimony of police officers. City of Atlanta has a very strong one, it could be stronger. But places that have a strong citizens review board, they tend to do better as it relates to community cop relations. Make sure your local community has one in place. If not, advocate to create it. All right, innocent man, strip searched, okay, completely innocent. He now is receiving $375,000. The error was committed by the Columbus, Ohio Police Department. Let's put up the picture of the police precinct full mass here. The city of Columbus has agreed to pay an Orlando man $375,000 after he was falsely arrested at gunpoint, strip searched and cavity searched for a crime he never committed. Timothy L. Hawkins of Orlando said in federal court last year that he was arrested at gunpoint in his home by US Marshals in September 2020 and spent seven days in jail at the height of the COVID outbreak. A Franklin County judge dismissed the charges a week later after finding that Hawkins was obviously not the perpetrator, okay? Now, a court document alleges that the officers who responded to the scene of a reported aggravated robbery in November 2019 in the Livingston McNaughton neighborhood on the far east side took down the names of two male suspects who witnesses said committed crime. Neither of those names was Timothy L. Hawkins, although one had the first name of Timothy. You know how many people are named Timothy in the United States of America? A whole lot. Okay, uh, one suspect was reported as six feet one, six feet one. The other six feet three. Hawkins, who is black, is five foot eight. 
and had previously lived in Columbus, but had no relationship to the crimes committed against these two victims according to documents he filed in court. Hawkins said he became aware of the charges when he received a letter in August 2020 from an attorney seeking to represent him in the case. He said he called the Columbus police and offered to travel to Columbus to turn himself in, but to no avail. He said, hey, listen, I need to clear this up. Let me call the Columbus police. The detective in the case who had filed the charges, the detective, okay, Brian Williams, already had been reassigned, investigative breakdown. A week after his arrest, his attorney persuaded a local judge that the perpetrator was much taller, much younger, and had a different name than Mr. Hawkins. And the case was dismissed, his complaint said. Hawkins was released the same day. Hawkins will receive $239,335, while his attorneys will get the remaining $135,000. The ordinance said the money will come from the city's general fund. Let's put up a picture of the police chief. Gotta do better, chief. Lane Bryant is the police chief here. So let's be 100 about what has happened, what has transpired here, okay? A lack of investigative prowess coupled with devaluing the actual humanity of this black male. Meaning once you saw things did not add up, Nobody in law enforcement said, hold up, wait a minute. Let's verify, let's double check, let's run this again. Let's go over the investigation one more time. None of them did this. It took a defense attorney to remind a judge, hey judge, a few things here. The height doesn't match and by the way, judge, the name doesn't match either. Judge says, well, look at that, you're right. Charges dismissed, go home after the man was already incarcerated for a week. This could have been solved on the front end, but because the detectives and those investigating did not care enough on the front end, it had to be solved on the back end after damage was done. This leads to, once again, defunding the police. $375,000 out of the general fund because of police misconduct, negligence, possibly even corruption. All right, Adrian, thoughts on this case? It is, and again, it's a reflection of abuse of power. They really wanted to go ahead and slap some handcuffs on this individual, even though he did not match the description and they knew better. And they wasted his time and they could have jeopardized his livelihood in terms of his employment or other key aspects of his life. But also to have the experience of being jailed and to be handcuffed and to be strip searched. And everything that went on is completely and totally unacceptable. And the officers knew and they decided that they would still enjoy this experiencing of dehumanizing another individual without any kind of justification whatsoever. It's yeah. just, it's utterly again disheartening knowing that it's the taxpayers who will pay it, we the people and not the officers who clearly engaged in misconduct. That's right, and that's why people like myself, we advocate for cops to have their own malpractice insurance, like a medical director or a medical professional, MDs have to have this, but cops do not. So that means the taxpayers will have to foot the bill for their egregious misconduct. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay.
All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Um, first Philadelphia cop in 40 years convicted for killing an unarmed man while on duty. Uh, let's go ahead and put his picture up full mass, okay? A Philly cop has been convicted of voluntary manslaughter after he fatally shot an unarmed black motorist. Once again, first time in 40 years, this kind of conviction has happened with someone who was on duty. Officer Eric Bruch Jr. was found guilty on September 21st for shooting Dennis Plowden Jr. This cop is the first Philly officer to be convicted of killing someone while on duty in 40 years and one of nine to have been charged in the past 50. In addition to the felony manslaughter conviction, this cop was also found guilty of possessing an instrument of a crime and faces up to 20 plus years in prison. Plowden and his wife, Tania Bond, who testified at the trial for a second time seeking justice for her husband. Plowden was part of a high speed chase that ended in a collision, left him sitting on a sidewalk in East Germantown. The cop believed Plowden was concealing a weapon in one hand. But afterwards, it was revealed he had drugs in his obscured hand. Additionally, an investigation also determined the officers were chasing what? The wrong person, details of the shooting. The cop alleges he believed he was in danger. Sounds familiar, right? He was in danger when he opened fire on Plowden. This happened December 27th, 2017. As the 25 year old sat on the sidewalk, the cop said he noticed he had one hand raised, but the other one hidden. When officers at the scene told him to show his hands, he would not. According to CBS News, other officers gave testimony stating there was an element of danger in the altercation and could see how their colleague was justified in shooting. The prosecution said he was actually surrendering. Not knowing if Plowden had a weapon or not, and believing he would not be able to take cover if Plowden decided to shoot him, the cop discharged his weapon six seconds. After arriving at the scene, the bullet went through Plowden's left hand and hit him directly in the head. Mr. Plowden died the next day from his gunshot wound. Despite testimony alluding to the justification for the shooting, the prosecution highlighted the fact that none of the other officers shot at Mr. Plowden and took cover during the detainment. Roosh, the cop who had spent 10 years in the police department, was not immediately fired. He was let go 10 months after the shooting. He had 10 more months to commit havoc, to kill somebody else. Let's put up a picture of the lawyer, okay? This is the cop's lawyer. His name is David Mishak, believes DA Larry Krasner's office was pushing for his client to be convicted of murder. Despite the DA, let's put up his picture, despite the DA, pushing for third degree murder. When the cop was indicted on October 9th, 2020, the charge was dismissed by the time of trial. Officer Roosh received the voluntary manslaughter verdict instead of the third degree murder count because the Pennsylvania Crime Code aligns his act with the lesser charges definition that says a person who kills an individual without lawful justification commits 
voluntary manslaughter. If at the time of the killing, he is acting under a sudden or an intense passion resulting from serious provocation. The cop should have been convicted of straight out murder. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, so many individuals testified. All oh, the cop was justified. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There was an, an element of danger. Not buying it, there's a cop convicted now. This is a symbol of justice, but definitely not justice full throttle. We're looking for full throttle justice as it relates to people who are unarmed and killed in this community. All right, Adrian, thoughts? This is, as you said, it's not sufficient in terms of justice because the man was basically executed. Like this thought that also this claim, I should say, that we're always carrying a gun. It's like they think we're born with guns on our hands or something. But it's completely and totally nonsensical, nor is it indicative of what justice should be in terms of what police are supposed to do, again, to protect and to serve. And so I'm glad that there has been a conviction here. I think that's the first step, but preventing this kind of behavior to begin with. With, whether it's reducing police or ensuring that police are actually qualified to do their jobs would be a great start. Yeah, and I encourage everyone to follow the career of this DA. This is one of the best DAs in the country. That is my sentiment. Adrian, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you and check out your great work. Well, you can head on over to Rebel HQ, which is on Facebook and YouTube for my segment Overruled. You can also catch me on Twitter at Adrian Law and on Instagram at Adrian Lawrence. There you go. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's no, a racist I, I, policy, I racist policy. Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though.